0: Well, welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us on our 121st episode of the podcast, where we talk to head coach at Stetson University, Steve Trimper. Coach Trimper, longtime veteran ABCA clinician, Northeast guy, but has since uh, been head coach down at Stetson University in Florida. We touched base about that. Uh, guys were at the ABCA, understood and heard some of his speech. He was the hit second behind Bianco and um, gave a really passionate talk about his drill work, his practices, and really just from the transition from being a Northeast guy to Florida guy. And we touched base about that and we talk more about that and we dive in and peel that back um, and how he kind of did that and what all he did uh, through that process and how he's, how he's changed. And, um, you know, it was just a really great conversation. You know, Coach Remper is full of life, great speaker, very well articulate, communicated. Um, and we touched base a lot about his book too, all about winning uh, or walk-off winning, excuse me. Um, got the book, can't wait to dive into it. But really articulates a lot of the things too about from the book and how he's putting them into his programs and how he's taken things that he's learned all through in even the business world and his chances that and his opportunities that he's able to meet such great people that he put into a book and he's put lessons that he's learned into a book and and um, you know we touched base about it now how he's incorporating those kind of leadership skills and these skills he's got throughout the book and throughout what he's learned into his teams and his players. Um, and then how he's spreading that also that all throughout the country with the place that he's speaking at as well as so it's really just a great conversation and we dive into a ton of things and how you could use it in your program from how culture is changing what culture is um just a, a ton of great information I just love um you know his energy and his passion and we had a we had a great conversation so coach Tripper really thank you uh, for the time and we just we 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 hit the ground running um and it was, it was full of energy and I'm I'm, I'm sure you guys. Um, you, you enjoy it, uh, and I really do enjoy it. So uh, before we get started, I just really got to say thank our, our, our sponsors, Netting Pros. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Professionals specialize in the design, fabrication, installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact Will Miner. Contact the guys at Netting Pros at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for other latest products and projects. Uh, and again, Coach Trimper. Oh, man, this guy. So beyond what he's done, what he's done at Stetson, what he came from from Maine, um, but just his his first season with Stetson, he was just one game behind Jacksonville in 2017 uh, for the conference title. That same season um, was tied for the most wins in their program history. In the second season, he won their first NCAA title, regional title. In the second season, they were ranked in every national poll. He established a dugout club, raising over $100,000. Prior to his stetson, he was at Maine, where he won over 300 victories, 140 of them in conference play, tournament victories, two regional appearances at Maine. Former head coach at Manhattan College, school record for wins. Been assistant coach at Vermont. I go to Wentworth College, spent time in the Cape, Eastern Tide. We touched base a little about that. Um, and like I mentioned before, National Coalition spoke just recently at the N- at the Nashville ABCA and author of Walk Off Winning. So great book to check out. i no, just just ready to dive into mine now. So dive, here we go. Um, really, Coach, thanks again. Thanks to the Any Pros. Guys, enjoy the great conversation with head coach at Stetson University, Steve Trimper.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's a really crazy story. Um, You know what, you know, I think when I was a young coach, um, you know, I I was fortunate enough to become a division one head coach at 27 years old. So, you know, so I kind of was like always trying to be better than everybody else. I was working harder. I was trying to recruit harder, teach people how to hit better, you know? And so I think I went through that, that transition of like that young buck, you know, that I was (laughs) trying to just outdo everybody. And um, after a while, I, I, uh, I ended up transitioning from Manhattan College as a head coach up to the University of Maine. And I started to get into my late 30s and early 40s, and I was trying to, to figure out how these championship programs always won. You know, like, I, you know, sure, they had money and they had recruiting things, but how did Duke basketball always do it or UConn basketball or, you know, uh, you know John Wooden did it back in the 60s and 70s. So I, I started to really study – leadership and culture. And this was about 2007 and eight and nine. So I, uh, you know, it wasn't really a hot topic back then. You know, there was just, you know, some, some coaching books out there. So I started reading all these coaching books and ironically, 2008, we all know that there was kind of a financial crunch and I was at university of Maine and my athletic director at the time came to me and was basically like, Hey man, like you got to help raise funds. Like we're, you know, we're going through a financial, we're going to cut your budget. So I get thrusted into trying to raise, you know, fifty, a $100,000 to turn the lights on. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, building stadiums and things like that. So I ended up um, literally meeting a bunch of our donors who are very successful business people. So I start, you know, going into these meetings trying to figure out if I'm going to ask them for money and then I'm like, wait a minute, you went bankrupt, you went to jail for embezzlement, you turned around a billion dollar company, like, like all these stories were all about failures and then success. So I started legitimately taking notes about what they did in business, simply for the fact to come back and try to give something to my team, you know, like how you can overcome this or how you can be a great leader. Well, lo and behold, about two years into this, one of those people who was a bank president up in the University of Maine area, you know, big, big bank in Maine was like, Hey man, you know, you're really getting into this leadership thing. Would you come in and speak to our tellers at our annual summit? <laughs> my first thing was like, what do you want me to talk to a bunch of tellers about bunting or base running? You know, I, I <laughs> you know, so, so he's like, no, no, no. I've been, you know, you and I've been having these great leadership talks. So I literally did like what sport and leadership is at my age, you know, the, the group I'm working with 18 and 22 year olds to how it, you know, it can, it can transition over. Well, Fast forward, you know, recommendations and referrals and, you know, over a course of 2010 to, I would say, 2017, I probably did like a hundred of these to businesses throughout New England. I enjoyed it. And through a weird connection, I got hooked up with an author at one of these events called, his name is John Gordon. He's pretty famous for writing The Energy Bus and Power Positive Team. So he like heard me speak and we got talking. He's like, dude, you should write a book. I'm like, you're crazy. I can't even write an email. Let alone a book. So, so I started jotting down some stuff. He hooked me up with his publisher, which is Wiley and sons. And, you know, 2017, 18, I started to get the idea idea to do it. Then 2018 we we had a great run at Stetson. I mean, we were ended up fourth in the country. We hosted a regional for the first time ever, you know, went to a super regional was one, you know, one game away. I call it 26 feet away, which still drives me nuts, but from going to <laughs> Omaha. And, um, you know, so that summer I really kind of hooked up with this publisher and I ended up writing this book, Walk Off Winning. Um, and really what it's about, it's 19 chapters of each chapter's a value that I learned through people in the corporate world uh, that I kind of take back to my team. And it could be, you know, what real energy is or what does image mean? You know how important the first thirty seconds you meet somebody, and what that burns into someone's head, to attitude, to you know all these all these words that you might throw up on the wall of a of a locker room or a, a or, you know an office building. So I kind of like dissected what these people taught me that were highly successful in business. All along, trying to take it back to my team, but then after I wrote the book, it was all about business stories that people had me come in and talk about how I learned about successful business practices through sport so mm-hmm. it, it kind of took off and you know since then i've done a lot of great corporate speakings i met some wonderful people and you know the book's been successful but it was really a fun ride to go through and it's still doing well today you know as i as they sell them you know from the publisher
0: yeah that's super cool <laughs> well I, I mean i just find it yeah so i find it really interesting too like have you has anybody ever like asked you to come in and speak to like like their high school i guess the, i guess the best you know like different like even like a to like schools sure
1: yeah i've done a lot of speaking to you know schools i gotta be careful the ncaa rules right that's that's
0: gonna jump through those hoops
1: yeah so like i've done a lot of like um you know like my old you know my old high school and things that i have connections to but i've I've done a lot with teachers i've done a lot with you know entire school systems that talk about leadership Uh, but mostly the people that reach out to me is like corporate so Wyndham Resorts, Ford Ford Motor Company, New Balance, you know, and you do a lot of their their summits or the retreats where they're doing like annual meetings, and you're their keynote speaker on on leadership. Um, but you know, I've done groups as small as you know ten, you know, from a local police department all the way up to you know 200 general managers from a from a huge you know Fortune 100 company, um, you know, and and ironically, what was good and bad is the book hit it was, it was published like in December of 2020. And then of course, you know, we had COVID hit, you know, or excuse me, uh, 2019 and we had COVID hit in 2020 of January. So a lot of the stuff that I was scheduled to do <laughs> when the book oh, yeah. came out, all got canceled. So I did a lot of zoom stuff and was speaking to like three, 4,000 faces on zoom, which was kind of tough for me to do, but, sure. Uh, but, but you know, all walks of life. I mean, any, any kind of form of business and sport and youth, uh, um, it seems to be a lot of financial institutions and a lot of police departments <laughs> hire me <laughs>
0: to do stuff. Wow, I know law enforcement's
1: big. So,
0: well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. What? So, like, how have so within like the walk and their 19 values? Is that something that you kind of break down with your team? Like, yeah. so is that since since it's come out? Is that something you're breaking down like all throughout, like in a year?
1: Yeah, well, first off, I I will tell you this. Um, If you think you can be good or great at 19 things, you're crazy. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves is uh, I walk into these huge companies and on their wall is the wall of values or our principles. And I look at them and sometimes there's 10, 11 things on there. I'm like, listen, man, like I've learned that you can't be great at all those things. So what I try to do is I try to show a corporation or a team like ourselves, like let's come up with four or three things that we want to be Awesome at. Like, for instance, at Stetson Baseball, um, this is a practice I had in 2018. I actually asked our players over the winter break to send me a really important value back on a text. We were actually secretly um, renovating our locker room at the time, and I wanted to do a values wall. So I had people say Omaha, toughness, grit, you know, leaders, winning, you know, every word that you could have probably put up there, energy. And so when they all came back, I said, look at this, you know, this wall with these great silhouettes. And uh, I said, now, it's impossible to do all these things, okay? This is not going to happen. Um, I want you guys to go dumb this list down. And, you know, my captains and the team went in there, and they came back with, like, eight things. And I said, I believe, from my expertise, this is still too much. So those guys came back in 2018 with four things, which were integrity, excellence, commitment, and blue-collar. So I said, you are the founding fathers. You are the ones that are going to put these four things on the wall, on our letterhead, on everything in our dugout. We are going to be committed to those those words. And we're going to try to be great, outstanding, excellent at those things. So integrity, you're not cheating on a test. Like, like, that's not what we want to do. Excellence. Like, did you practice excellent today? Did you pick up the trash in the dugout? Did you clean your campus up? Did you help the – the maintenance person at night with your locker, so that you know they don't have to do it. You know, so and, you know what does blue collar mean? Well, that toughness, grit. Well, like were we that today? So it allows us to hold those four things accountable, not fourteen things, because you can't hold somebody accountable to fourteen things. You know, so when I go talking to these businesses, I try to say, look, I appreciate this huge wall that your CEO just spent a hundred thousand dollars on for this big graphic. But when I see 10 things on a list or a police department that has all these words, I'm like, you're setting yourself up for failure. You know, like what if you and I just decided we were going to be absolutely, you know, we're going to operate with the most, utmost integrity through journalism and art speaking. And we are going to be, uh, our image is going to be incredible. Me and you. So we're going to always dress right. We're going to look right. We're going to always present ourselves well. We're going to always public speak well. Like, let's do those two things well so people remember us, you know? And so that's kind of what my message is all the time. Now, the book has 19 of these because I was fortunate enough to be around so many great individuals that were CEOs, presidents, principals, generals of military, whatever walks of life that gave me, wow, I wish I could do that value. And I just kind of put them down and said, all right, here's a hodgepodge of what I've seen, which is great. Now, I admit I can't be great at 19 things, but you know, pick, pick some of these that I've learned that are really important to be a great leader. And you go from there and really leadership. I think where I get really annoyed is people want to have a great culture. Well, culture is changing all the time, week to week, month to month in sport, players change, coaches change, weather changes it. Umpires change it. You know, in business, it's employees are changing. Benefits are changing. The market's changing whatever your, you know, supply chain, you know, all the things that you can use as reasons are constantly changing. So you constantly need attention to your culture, but in the same sense it gets built because you have four or five really good values or traits that you concentrate on and go back to when everybody concentrates on those four, you become a good leader. Okay. So, so leadership to me is when the going gets tough, when you're failing, when the proverbial blank hits the fan, can you go back to those four words? Can you be um, excellent? Can you be committed? Can you be, uh, you know, blue collar? Can you act in integrity? Because it's easy when things go wrong to cheat. It's easy to find the shortcut. So can you go back to your four or five values when it's going gets tough? That's my principle. When you do that, then you have true toughness and true energy. See, fake toughness is two football teams and college football coming on at halftime and finger pointing each other and telling us how great they're gonna be. And I'm gonna kick your butt and hold me back, syndrome I call it. You know, hey, hold me back. Otherwise, I'm gonna take this guy out. I've always said, let Miami and Florida State football fight in, in, you know, pre you know, pre-game. Everybody's gonna get suspended. Um, coaches are gonna get fired. They're not going to a bowl game, they're losing millions of dollars on TV because of that, because everybody did this. So I kind of always go back to like, what's, that's fake to me. That's fake energy. Real energy and real toughness is, can you go back to your four core values or principles when things are not going so well? And that, if you can do that, now you're a leader. When you got a team of leaders or an organizational leaders, or, you know, even in an office setting, if you have four or five individuals that can do that, now you're starting to establish culture. And that's what my whole principle is about what strong culture can be.
0: Mm, that's really, really good. Um, yeah, that's, I just even go back on your values when things get tough. Like, that's a great principle. So, like, here's a question. So, like, when they set the foundation with those four, are you diving into them every year? Is that the foundation? Or, like you said, culture changes every, every time. Or are you having that conversation every year and say, what are we going to be awesome at?
1: That's a great question. That's an unbelievable question. And w- so what I did when I said the founding fathers of the 2018 team moving forward, we set those four core values that we're always going to follow. So if I'm Nike and they have four things on the wall or I'm Disney, you know, Disney's core value is experience of a lifetime. I work with Disney people. They want to give everybody experience of a lifetime. That's one of their four things. So that's never going to change. Now, the people are going to change. The employees are going to change. The environment's going to change the demographics of Disney's gonna change, the political landscape of Disney's gonna change, like all those things that you hear about, but no matter what, they're still gonna say, we're gonna give everyone, employees, and people that are paying customers an experience of a lifetime, That's that's that stays steadfast all the way through. So to answer your question, why I thought it was so good, is that I really believe that you need to establish those four core values, or five, or three, whatever you think that your organization can handle, And that's your your bedrock. That's what we're always going to go back to. But how we are going to navigate there is going to take us each and every week, year, month, whatever that's going to take. It's going to take us different paths there because all the moving parts are going to be different. Think about a puzzle, okay? My my team's a puzzle. And I know what it looks like. The the end picture is on the box. (laughs) Like, this is what I want it to look like. But I got to make sure that all my puzzle pieces fit together. So sometimes I have a shortstop or a center fielder, or a captain, or a freshman that might not fit into this piece of the puzzle, but they might fit over here. If I'm running a business, I gotta figure out who's gonna be good at management, who's gonna be good at sales, who's gonna be good at marketing, who's gonna be good at accounting, who's good at HR. That's my puzzle piece that I'm gonna fit around. But all those pieces, all those people slash pieces, are gonna still follow our core values. But it's up to me as a leader to figure out where I can maximize all those people, the puzzle pieces. To get to the end result.
0: Okay, so, so, so what I'm hearing is is it, essentially though those four are going to be stats in baseball, like those four, yep. right? And then what you're saying is then what we're trying to do is the maybe maybe like the language and as you enter like let's say you introduce like your freshman or your your like new guys to the program to those like how do you establish like introduce those things yep. to them?
1: Yeah. And again, I think a lot of times you rely on your people. If you did a good job, your people are your best educators, you know, so like our captains our you know, returning players, you know, I say this all the time to each and every team in August when they get on campus and I have, you know, 18 freshmen and two transfers and 12 returning players, whatever those numbers are going to be like, my job is to give you the toolbox and the tools necessary to turn the team over to the team. Like don't rely on me as a head coach. Like it might be in August, probably not. Maybe it's, you know, November, probably not. But by January, when we're starting to open up in February, I want to turn the team over to the team, which means you guys know these values. You guys know what's important to us, these four core values. You know what it means to be accountable to those. So now hold each other accountable, police each other. You know, if the dugouts left messy if we leave work on Friday at noon and don't finish the task as a, as a, as a unit, we're not being held accountable to those things unless we all call each other out. So, you know, do you need the boss to be like, Hey, Hey, wait time out, get everybody back to the office. Like we're not done yet. You guys didn't finish the report that's due and everybody put it off till Monday because you guys want to go home and have a three day weekend. Like that's not acceptable. Or do the employees, now say, whoa, 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 we're not done. Like, let's get this job done. We don't need to get the boss involved. We don't need the supervisor involved. Like, let's get this done. So I think that I'm constantly trying to have those young incoming freshmen, as you put it, to learn those four core values of excellence, commitment, blue collar, um, you know, and and just having those things come back to them um, that where they understand that this is what we try to be, you know, and, you know, and I forgot integrity for a second there. I was drawing a blank. Um, like, we have to operate in everything that we need to do with those four. So, like, we are, we're allowed to call each other out at all times. You know, like, uh, tonight's a great example. You know, we, we just moved into this brand-new $8 million stadium. It's gorgeous. It was our second practice, okay? And we've been practicing up at a practice facility. It's a high school field for nine months. So all these freshmen really don't know what it's like to go through this great place. Now, we had a great place for years to come, we just, we just upgraded it big time. So tonight was the first night, you know, we really had, you know, a night practice. I came home to get on the podcast with you and I watched our guys and I watched all of our upperclassmen take the fan rakes and the brooms. And they started to cut and put the clay back and, all, and I saw our freshmen just standing around, you know, like, and so it was up to our upperclassmen to be like, look, we, we, we have grounds crew and we have student managers, but take care of your own stuff. Like let's, let's show that leadership uh, of, of of you know, act, acting in excellence because we want this field to be the best in the country. And so all of a sudden I watched the freshmen like kind of like dumbly look around and be like, oh, maybe I should do something. And they were aimlessly just taking a broom and brooming turf that they didn't even know what they were doing, but they were trying to mimic these older guys <laughs> because they were trying to, you know, say, hey, look, if they're doing it, I got to do it because we're part of this program. Now it seems like a little minute thing, but, you know, I think that's where I, I really kind of branch into another part of what we try to do is ironically when i wrote this book i i, I got with an awesome publisher in wiley and my editor her name was vicky she only did like high end authors like the big time ones the john gordons and the semics and the you know the maxwells the ones that we see <laughs> that are all over the place so when i wrote this book you would send her a chapter and she would track change it and then send it back. And of course she was like myth that I would just hit accept all and send it right back to her. Cause she said, you used to fight with all the other authors. I'm like, you're the expert, just do whatever. But when I got to one of the chapters, it was about ego. And why I bring this up is, is every author she worked for or worked with always talked about humility and egoless. And, and my chapter is about, if you want to be great, you better have an ego. It's the name of the chapter. And so she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, like, this might not be the great title. And I said, look, Vicky, read the chapter. And so what I basically say is, is that in order to be great, you, you got to have an ego. So here's my ego right now to you on this podcast. I think I have the greatest pitching coach in the country. Better than any pro team, better than any college team. Daniel Latham is awesome. My recruiting guy, he's the best. My two short that are fighting out for the job, they're better than LSUs. They're better than anybody. My president is the best president to work for. My AD, Jeff Altier, he was at practice tonight. There's no AD in the country better. So I'm egotistically telling you how great I got it. My enemies, my competition are going to tell you that I'm embellishment. I'm embellishing this, okay? Or I'm BSing. Me, I'm telling you I'm optimistic. However, so, so, you know, just to kind of branch off of what we were talking about with ego is, you know, I think a lot of people kind of take that ego, which is scared to people. Like they're, they're scared about talking about having an ego. And like, I kind of champion that where I really believe you need to have an ego to be great. And, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, how I said, like my, my, my players and my athletic director and my coaches, I feel like I have the best around. However, where I change that topic is once I form my team, my organization, my program, my office in, in the world of corporate, you know, corporate, um, you know, the corporate world, is that like the ego goes out the door? So, for instance, like tonight, I was raking. I was picking up cups. I'm the head coach. My AD is doing the same thing. My freshmen are seeing that. So, you got to learn to check your ego at the door or leave it in the parking lot once you form your team. But prior to that, I want everybody outside of my team to know that we have egos because you know that that that's where we we can kind of form that humility within our our own ranks. You know, when they see the head coaches out there picking up the cups, and I'm raking the mound tonight in this multi-million-dollar facility, they're going to be like, "Wow, he appreciates that." You know, like so, like we have to do the same thing. So, I think that that scares people sometimes when they
0: say, "Look, have an ego to be great,"
1: but I think it's a strong point of being a leader.
0: Yeah, it's. I think it's a fine line. But the, like, what would you say is um, the difference, ego and confidence?
1: Yeah, you know. I'm probably going to, you know, people are going to disagree. I said, there's not, there's probably not much of a line between ego and confidence. Um, You know, here's the thing is, is I can't control my competition. I can't control the weather. I've tried. I can't control the umpires. I've tried. None of that works. (laughs) So, so what I try to do is I just try to take care of the people that I, not that I can control, but that I have some kind of impact on. And so, like when somebody says, "Oh, you're overconfident," or "You're egotistical," or "You're an embellisher," or "You're a BSer," like it doesn't bother me because all those people that are saying that aren't part of my organization, you know. So my job is to take the people inside my organization and make sure they don't say, "Oh, you're a BSer," "You're an," you know, "You're, you're, you're an embellisher." I need them to say, "Hey, you're an optimist." Like I want to. Like it's basically, you know, it gets back to attitude. When you have someone that's got an unbelievable, optimistic attitude. They're positive. And you have somebody on the other side of the room that's just the negative Nelly, the one that is just, you know, everything is wrong and their shoulders are down. Where do you go? Like in the first 30 seconds, where do you gravitate towards? If you're just neutral, you're going to gravitate towards that guy. You're going to be like, I want to drink with that. Like, let's think about this in a business setting. And I do this a lot with bankers. Monday morning, had a great weekend. You come in. Do you walk in with your knuckles dragging with the Monday morning blues being like, oh my God, this sucks. I can't wait till Wednesday when it's hump day and I can't wait till Friday. Or what about that person that comes in and be like, oh my God, I had the greatest weekend. I can't wait to tackle the week. We're going to be awesome this week. We're going to take sales to the roof. We're going to open up 10 more accounts. We can do it. You're If you're in the middle, you're going to go right to that person that's positive and you're going to gravitate towards them. So I try to say like, that's the optimistic part of you that's my job as a leader because I want those guys to go to war with, to go to the trenches with. I want to go to business meetings with. I want to go to games against competition with those people as a person that's always, you know, uh, you know, not optimistic or the one that's always saying the shoulda, woulda, coulda. You know, I, I, the negative Nelly is the one that's always saying shoulda, woulda, coulda. I would have done it better if I was the head coach or the CEO. I could have done it better. You know, you should have done it differently. Like, you know, should have, would have, could have to me is like the negative nelly that I try to avoid as we go forward. <laughs>
0: I love how you said like, um, um, inside of your organization, those are the people that I'm, I am, I don't want them to say I'm embellishing and things like this. So essentially like how you're building trust, oh, yeah. you know, like how you're building trust. So like, what are the things that you do to, to like, to build that trust?
1: That, you know, man, I'm almost going to say, did you read the book? <laughs> so chapter 19 is called True Success. And, and really, this is my ultimate, ultimate thing. So we're jumping ahead if we were, had three hours of leadership discussion or team discussion. So um, ironically, when I speak to my guys and I speak to a lot of businesses, one of the exercises I do is I ask them, what is success? Word association, Go. And so I'll be in front of 300, you know, corporate people, and I'll do that exact same, you know, scenario. And a lot of times on the spot, they'll say, well, you know, I want to, you know, hold down a good job, and I want to provide for my family, and I want to send my kids to private school, and I want to pay for the college, and I want to have a nice house. And then, you know, of course, my players, like, we want to win championships, we want to go to Omaha. And what I try to say to them is, all right, everything you just said is a reward. Okay, money. Possessions, fame, and wins, they're all rewards. It's not really a success. It's not a measure of success. So I back it up a lot. And when I talk about all these values, these 19 values, and you can start building what's good for your portfolio and you're building your team, um, you said something that was remarkable in your question. You said the word trust. So really what I'm trying to do as a leader, okay, of a baseball program and trying to help, CEOs build their company or principals or the military or police departments. You need to find what you believe are good people. So whatever that defines, you know, value, you know, what you think is a good person. Um, when you invite them onto your team or your bus or your apartment or your, whatever it is, now the hard part starts. Now it's up to you as a leader to build a relationship. In 2017, I took over Stetson. I came in in January. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody's name. The other coach abruptly retired. They hired me. We're playing four weeks later. So I didn't know who the bench player was to the all American. And so I went to that year and we built, you know, a pretty decent year. At the end of the year, we finished second, in the conference, we went to the finals and that summer. I, and I asked everybody at the end of the year, like who wants to return? And I had, 10 or 11 people would be like, ah, you didn't recruit me. You're not my coach. No problem. Like, let me, let me, let me help you. Let me, you know, not be part of your unhappiness, but let's also try to help you out. But I had a core of about 15 guys like, yeah, we're all in coach. So that summer I didn't recruit. I went and visited every one of those guys in their summer leagues. I showed up in Butte, Montana. I showed up in, you know, Newport, Rhode Island, wherever they were playing summer box. I knew they were playing. So they're not going to miss the game. So they're like, coach, what are you doing here? I'm like, you know what? It was important for me to come and visit you. And so my goal was, is to build a relationship, which is why I say that's step number two. Good people, step number one. Second step, the hardest of them all, build relationships with people. And when you start to build that strong relationship with somebody, and and I use this example all the time in in the world of business. Let's say your son or daughter are playing, you know, youth softball or baseball and they're on field 10, and one of your newly hired employees has someone similar age that's playing on field one. And they're at the same time. How important is it to you for to miss two innings of your own son or daughter's game and walk over and be like, Hey, Mary, Hey John, how you doing? Well, Hey boss, what are you doing here? I, you know, I, I kind of knew your kid was playing. I just want to come over and watch your kid play and hang out with you for a couple of innings. Like that builds relationships. Okay. Now you sacrifice your own time, your, your money, your, you know, your energy, that's what happens being a leader. You sacrifice a lot sometimes. But what you're trying to do is when you build that relationship, then number three and four happen of the of the success plane. Number three is you start building trust, which you said. Everybody starts to trust you, all right? So when you're like, hey, man, I think that this is what is going to be best for our program, everybody's like, okay, okay, coach, we got your back. Okay, we, we truly trust that this is what we're going to do. I need everybody today to stand on their head and you know, do leg bicycle kicks because it's going to make us better hitters. Okay, coach, we got you. We we trust you. Or you don't know what the hell you're doing. Like that's that that's what's going to be the answer if you don't have that relationship. Now, when I have trust, I have the last one that comes, which is loyalty. And mm-hmm. loyalty is 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 probably uh, to me the most valuable of them all because through thick and thin, through failure and success, they stick with you. So, let's fast forward to a corporate event a corporate setting where um, we got a dictator boss who's telling everybody what to do. He's always barking at them. He never builds relationships. And it's now the twenty-four, you know, December 24th, and everybody's supposed to go home Friday on the 24th to go to Christmas at noon. And the boss comes in the office and says, hey, I screwed up. The board of trustees needs me to get this report. You guys got to finish this. And everybody's going to be like, mother. Mm. Like, they're like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this ass came in and said this. They're going to like just like loathe that day. Okay. All right. Because they didn't, it got to build a relationship. What happens if I'm the CEO that has built a relationship and has got those people trusting me and they're loyal? And I walk into that and go, everybody, I screwed up. It's the 24th. I told you, you guys can go home in an hour, but like I'm in a pickle. Like, is anybody here can brainstorm? You know what happens in that setting? Everybody says, we got your back, coach. Everybody sharpen the pencils. Let's get this done. Let's knock this out. And 3.30 comes, and they hand the report, and the the boss is like, you know what, guys, thank you so much. You know what happens in that setting? They now become number one sales team. They now become number one at what they're doing because they all were loyal at that last minute. And a month later, the boss deals out bonuses, and everybody goes and buys jet skis and builds big houses and gets all those rewards they wanted in the first place because they were loyal and they were trusting of their boss and their situation and their culture. So – you know, so success to me isn't about the, win- the wins or the money, the fame, possessions. It's about those four core things about good people as a leader, surround them, build those relationships, build trust and loyalty, and you'll get those rewards of jet skis and houses and Fortune 500 magazines and ultimately going to Omaha, you know, in a college baseball. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of live and die by that philosophy to get to when you mentioned trust. It just kind of hit a chord with me because I think it's a very important um um trait that comes out of being a good leader. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, and even just like you said, uh that's where you can say the things that you say might people other people might say that you're embellishing, but inside the program, yep. your people aren't aren't saying those things.
1: Yep. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like I said, how, how can I be uh quote unquote embellisher when they don't trust me? <laughs> you know, because they're gonna call me inside my program, they're gonna call me a BSer. But I need to, to, to get those, you know, my, my, my people inside my organization, my team, the ones I put here. You remember, I say that all the time to our players. Like, I brought you here. I brought you here because I thought you were going to be great. So, like, if I'm running a business, I'm going to first and start off everything. Like, I hired you because I thought you were able to take my job. I brought you here because I thought you were going to be the next CEO, you know? So, like, you know, I have 35 individuals on our team right now. I tell them every day. I think every one of you I brought you here because I think you'd be an all American and a professional player. And I've had many of those guys that are the same talent that you are. So like they need to know that I believe in them because I brought them here in order to to say, look, I trust this guy as we move forward. I want to get into all this, you know, leadership stuff that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. And even just to be able to, like, for me, that's almost like, even like the uh, ownership you know, yep. you're trying to also create just ownership inside of the inside of the program. Like with with these leadership lessons, like do you is this like a weekly thing or is this just something daily that you're doing inside of the practice plan?
1: Yeah, another great question as you go forward, because I've I've tried and failed and been successful in different ways of getting this message across over the last, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years since I have really dove into this. And, and, and really what it is, it's a series of. Um, you know, short meetings that I have with the guys to to kind of introduce this stuff. But you know what I've found to be the greatest asset for me is I've been really fortunate to be around some highly successful people uh, in sport and inside business. And so some of the people that I use in the book, um, senators, governors, like I said, all these people that I've been able to just build relationships with, I ask them to come and speak to my team. And what we do is in the fall... I usually bring in between six and eight speakers every fall. Now I've had Senator Collins from Maine. I've had you know Senator uh, Congressman Mast. I've had you know Eric Semler, who runs the largest IT hedge fund in the world. I've had Charles Johnson, who owns Franklin Templeton. Uh, you know I, I've had I've had everybody you can imagine over the course of these years come in and speak to our guys about their plans of leadership. And ironically, it's amazing. I can sit there all day long with our guys and be like, look, you got to operate with integrity. You got to be excellent. You got to outwork everybody. You got to, you know, you got to, you know, deal with the failures. And they're like, yeah, we got to coach. We got to coach. And then all of a sudden I have Charles Johnson walk in. Who's, you know, the billionaire, you know, CEO, owner of Franklin Templeton investments. He owns the San Francisco giants. He says the exact same thing I do. And they're like, Oh my God. You know, (laughs) it's, it's it's like coaching your own, you know, talking to your own kids. It's like, pick up the trash, pick up the trash. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks in your house and says, pick up the trash, and they do it, you know? So I, I do try to bring in a lot of people that are leaders. I bring in, you know, our, our you know, chief of police. I, I, I can. The list goes on and on and on of the highly successful people i brought in. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people I bring in are, you know, uberly successful financially. Their businesses are booming. And they tell, they tell stories of failures. I mean, you wouldn't believe the people that got, you know, whacked on embezzlement or whacked on fraud and spent two years up the river and was able to come back. And I mean, like, no joke, like these people had failures. So when you think you struck out four times in a row and that's the end of the world, that ain't like that. (laughs) That's not even what failure is if you want to continue to come, you know, be successful. And and so I think that that to answer your question, like I bring a lot of guest speakers in that I that I trust that are mentioned in my book that I know deliver a good message. And like, I've been blessed to be around those people, but I wouldn't be the person I was today if I didn't go to some of these highly successful people and say, how did you do it? You Mm -hmm. know, um, I think, you know, one of the biggest parts, and this is kind of spurring off is, is I try to force our guys to communicate. Um, you know, I am so happy about one thing tonight. I called you and I've been so busy. I've been like, I got the stadium going. I got all this stuff going. And I'm like, oh man, I got this podcast I got to do tonight. I'm excited to do it. And I called you when you reminded me of the time. And I'm like ready to do the phone. And you're like, hey man, like, don't you remember? Like, hey buddy, I sent you the link five times. Did you check your email? I guarantee that's what you were. And I'm like, oh my God, he did. I was so excited that I was on Zoom because you and I are communicating with emotion and voices and faces. And I write a lot and talk a lot about that factor of being a leader and being a strong culture is that you've got to communicate because so many times I'll pick up the cell phone and try to call somebody and they'll put me to a voicemail and be like, what up, man? Or my player will be like, Hey coach, what's up? I might like, pick your phone up so I can talk to you, you know? Right. And so, um, I like the point of having our guys learn about the communication side of things of, 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 of public speaking and talking. And so with that being said, communication isn't always about all the talking. I mean, I'm on a podcast to talk about a book and division one baseball. So I'm doing it all, but a true communicator would turn the conversation to you. Like I should be like, Hey man, tell me about your podcast. Tell me about your family. I see all those hats hanging about. How did you acquire those hats? You know, like those are things that get you engaged You'd be like, wow, he cares about our conversation. And so what I learned from all these highly successful business people that I bring back, is I ask them questions. Like, tell me about your success. Because ultimately my communication with you is about you telling me what you did to make you successful so I can go tell somebody else. And so I try to have our kids understand that, that when they go to a class, their job the first day in class is ask the professor three questions about themselves. And so when they walk in the class, it's awkward, but they walk in there and they say, hey, Professor Smith, um, I see that, you know, you're driving an um, uh, electric car. Do you really like the electric car? Oh, I do. You know, me and my wife, we really enjoy it. Oh, you have a wife? Do you have a family? No, we don't. We have a pet. Oh, what's your pet? A dog. What kind of dog? A lab. Well, there's your three questions. So then all of a sudden, kid, you're the, the professor now remembered you. So now mm-hmm. when you're sitting in that class and you're going between a D and a C, or hopefully it's not that bad, <laughs> You know, they're like, man. You know, that guy was engaging, and let's let's bump him up. And so, that's why I try to talk about that communication is so big that we try to try to get across to our kids so they can have that ability to do that.
0: Yeah, I like. I really like that. You know, that just attention now, like because I see and seeing you see a lot of guys now um, just doing certain things. I see guys now like taking up They'll take pictures with their professors the first day of school, like which is good. Like again, they're just trying to create their relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, which like you said, it's, it's going to definitely help them down the road. Um, man, that was, uh, that was really good. Just about the, even the asking the questions, that was really cool. And enforcing us, it, it is because I think the the communication piece right now is, is pretty big because uh, it's very easy to send a text, you know, it's very easy and, and, and we have to be more intentional about it. And, um, you know, but I, I can, man, I, I guess you could speak on this is like when you when you talk to a guy on the phone as a recruit i i would honestly say now if do those guys stand out that can really talk to you more than ever
1: yeah boy you know i'm keep giving you props here dre is is is, uh you're asking great questions (laughs) you know like when, when i talk to a recruit on the phone they stand out immensely when they communicate and listen I know what it's like talking to a 15, 16, 17 year old. It's it's tough. I mean, like they're talking to a division one coach or it's hard to do those things, but I'll tell you where I see it more. So is, is, um, you know, we recruit all summer and we're out there looking at a thousand kids and, you know, a thousand of them can play. And then you start to figure out which ones qualify academically. And then the ones that, you know, the coaches talk highly of. So in theory, you're trying to get down, you know, a hundred kids that you're going to try to get ten. You know, 10% success rate, right? In sales, if you're doing 10% success rate selling with cold calls, you're pretty good. You're making a lot of commissions. So we're kind of the same way as college coaches. But I can't tell you how many times I tell this story is I'll, I'll call somebody once I get their cell phone, a recruit that's legally allowed to be called for their age, and I'll wait for their voicemail. And, you know, when I get the voicemail that's like, you know, hey, you've reached John, you know, I, I can't take a call right now, please leave a message, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I'm like, hey, John, this is Coach Shrimper, head coach of Stetson University, saw you play last week up at Lake Point, really was excited about getting you down to look at Stetson, you're a person we'd love to make a hatter, I'd love to talk to you about a scholarship at some point, because you're definitely a scholarship player, and I hang up. And then the next person I call, and it might be just like, you know, ring, 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 you've reached six four seven four four and i'm like you know i might leave the same message but i'm kind of like "Eh, i didn't hear his voice and then i get the third one which is like ring 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 boom 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 boom. Yo, mother leave your nothing and i'm just like beep, hang up throw (laughs) it down i'm like that kid just cost himself two hundred sixty thousand dollars you know because (laughs) you know because of his image might be a great kid but like You know, like I just didn't connect to him in that first thirty seconds of that image I got. So, like that communication part about talking to somebody on the phone, and you know, um, it's funny. um, I grew up in you know Northeast. I you know I went to high school in New Jersey. Then I coached a lot of my career in New England. And you know, you get you get the the Boston New York kind of stigma where everybody's talking fast and just kind of like talking over each other. And my wife and I moved to Stetson in Florida. And they call her Miss, everybody, are, Miss Lisa, Miss Lisa, Miss Lisa. And I'm like, God, that's so impressive. <laughs> you know, like, like, no, what do they mean, Mrs. Trimper, Mrs. Trimper. But like, you know, like little things, like people communicate in different parts of the country in different ways. And, you know, so I think that when I call a recruit, I, I'm really, if there's one advice I can give to somebody out there that's young and listening to this and, and maybe trying to advance themselves inside their workforce as, you know, a fresh college graduate is, you know, be, have the ability to, to talk and communicate and ask questions of the people that are around you because it's impressive when they do that as opposed to deflecting or texting or emailing because you don't get that emotion. You know, um, you know, it, it's one thing that COVID taught me is like, you know, Zoom's great and we're doing this here, which is kind of cool because we might be doing a podcast if not on a phone if we didn't have COVID. Right. And, and we're seeing each other's faces and my gray hair and, you know, your red hair. And, you know, like I see your age versus my age. and Like, that's kind of a cool thing. But you know, during COVID, I had the book come out and we weren't coaching. Like, I really missed having that interaction with people. And I think a lot of people can say that. So um, I think that, we you know, communication is key to talk with people.
0: Oh, well, yeah. For sure. Yeah, and you, you touched base about the Northeast and, like, how is – how has that all been because I mean I can just imagine cuz I was at the I was at Nashville and you kind of mentioned that a little bit in your in your talk yeah. um just like the transition from northeast to florida
1: Yeah I mean obviously on a baseball front it, you know if we're going to talk baseball for a little bit it, it was it was a great transition because you know I'm I was used to trying to create baseball you know inside you know and when you don't have a dome or a, a stadium that's that's covered it's tough to do that um, compared to what you have down here, but but I brainwashed myself and I told everybody, ah, oh, it's not that hard and it's easy, and everybody was like, what an embellisher. <laughs>
0: <You know? But laughs> right.
1: I was up there telling, me, who cares what Miami has? We can go down there and kick their bus coming out of the gym, you know. So, but it, it, the transition was was great because I was able to practice year round with our guys and really take my coaching ability, I believe, to another level where I could could really give as much as I could I wasn't concerned about breaking windows or marking up the gym floor and having my athletic director get mad at me because I told him the baseballs don't mark the floor and you know and and, you know asking for forgiveness as opposed to permission what I used to do a lot um so I think that transition was a great one I think when you move to a different area you know you got to learn the culture and and the environment a little bit more and um you know I think you know, Maryland up, you know, you're from Maryland and New Jersey and New York and, you know, Delaware, as you go up into there, you know, it's a little bit more hustle bustle, you know, Mm -hmm. like we're used to dealing with the ups and downs and the traffic and the weather and the ice and the snow and the the people cutting you off. And the one thing I've learned is, you know, you don't take offense to it. You know, I'm sorry. Like I lived in New York and people would be like, eh, give me the finger. And then it was like, Hey man, you want to go get a beer? It was like, it's like, (laughs) Oh, okay, cool. We're good. Where I think down in the South, it's a little bit more, you know, not slower paced by all means, but just a little bit more respectful of like, you know, I had to listen a little bit more, you know, like I had to learn to listen a little bit more. I talk about communication and ask those questions. Well, you know, you can't dominate a conversation as much, you know, I think in Boston, everybody talks over each other. <laughs> this is It's a skilled trait. You know, down here, I think I got to listen a little bit more. And I'll tell you, one of the things I did learn is I came down here as a coach and I was all about the toughness and the image and the practice harder and get the dirty uniforms. So we're wearing pants. We're not wearing shorts. We're practicing three hours. We're doing sliding drills. We're going to do PFPs. We're going to get after it. And these new players who are just learning me were like, yes, coach, we don't want to, you know, tick him off. We want to earn his trust. and So they just listened to me. And in a way, I was a kind of a dictator. I'm like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we did it in the Northeast. And I was used to like, hey, guys, the sun's out. We got 45 minutes for it's going to go <laughs> below freezing. Let's get it done. You know, I so, like, I get down to Florida, and it's 90 degrees all the time. And I, I'll never forget my first year. I had Logan Gilbert, you know, who was a sophomore who went on to be a first rounder, Brooks Wilson. who was the John Olderwood winner. For the two-way player in the country that year. They, you know, he's actually on the 40 man with the Braves right now. So they just met me. And after about five weeks, I remember Brooks was our captain. Came, he's like, Coach, Trip, like we know, like we love the intensity, (laughs) but like it's freaking 90 down here. This ain't Maine. Like, we're getting our ass kicked. And I had to like change the way I coached. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you're right. Like, you know, I used to come down to Maine from and play Miami every year. Coach Morris, great friend. There's this weird Maine Miami tradition Mm. where Coach Frazier back in the 70s and 80s and Coach Winkin at Maine were best buddies. So they have the same old English M. The clubhouse has the exact same footprint for both of them. They shared their plans when they built it in 1989. So we would go down there every year and I'd be like, look at these, you know, cocky son of a guns wearing their shorts, taking BP with a t shirt, not sliding, not Mm. playing hard we're not going to take BP like that. We're going to hit 10,000 ground balls and show that these guys were tougher. <laughs> and then, then I get to Florida. And I'm like, I'm beating the hell out of my kids because it's so damn hot. So I had to learn how to change the way I coach with the environment moving South and kind of slow it down a little bit more to get the most out of my guys.
0: <laughs> I bet like, man, and what, a, what even another lesson to learn, uh, to teach, you know, so like, like I said, like your lesson of learning the culture you know, which then, like you said, had to again to provide the best experience to really see the other guy, and then also you just not having enough ego within your organization to listen to your guys. Yeah, it's complex, man.
1: Like you know, that's the thing about about this whole leadership thing and coaching in college baseball is you know you got to learn how to, to 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 protrude that you have the trust and loyalty, and I guess the ego that everybody will trust you but you also got to be able to have enough that you can check it at the door. Like I say, so you can listen to your guys or you can recognize when it's time to change, you know, these ABCAs that we went to are great. And I've been to them. I think my first one was 1994 in Nashville. Ironically, you know, it's always in Nashville, but you know, like I really feel like I learn more and more each year as I go. And like, when I stop that feeling, then it's time for me to stop coaching and you know, one of the greatest honors I've had, you know, in my career was this past November. Uh, I got invited back to Manhattan, my first head coaching job, and you know they had they had their Hall of Fame event, and I and I went into it, and like I always hated talking about these kind of like personal things, and I didn't even tell anybody Stetson. They were so mad at me that I didn't tell anybody, and I just flew to New York and they found out afterwards because I didn't want to be on the web page or. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. I just, it's kind of like a thing I just don't want to brag about, but, but going back to it, there was two great things that happened that weekend. Number one is that when I got to that event, I couldn't imagine how many of the former players that were in their (laughs) forties and only three years younger than I was, ironically Mm. came back to that event. We had 30 alumni come back that played for me in that six year span that were at that table. And, you know, we shared beers and stories and, and I remember saying this to him, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, they're like, coach, you know, you helped us out. I'm like, guys, I was 27. <laughs> I didn't know what the freak I was doing. Like my biggest travesty in life is I wish I could take this, you know, my knowledge now and go back and coach those guys Yeah. You know, and, and give that to them. And of course, you know, that was kind of like, no, Co-, you know, we, we kind of brushed it off, but that was like one of the nicest things that happened to me that weekend. I also was invited to the golden glove award, um dinner which I've never been to in New York it was the same weekend and my former shortstop at Maine was given the glove that weekend and and him and his family invited my wife Lisa and I to go which was Jeremy Pena he played for me at Maine oh nice and he was my last before I went to Stetson he was he was a junior and so he ended up having a pretty good career when he left Maine and had a really good year so that weekend was kind of special to see some of the kids I just recently coached have success and then some of the, you know, the players that I coached that were literally in their late 40s, and I'm 52, you know, they had kids and they had, you know, their own, you know, own 10, 12, 14-year-olds coming back that weekend. And um, and I, I, but I guess I wish I you know, we got on this topic for a second, because I wish I could, I wish I could have given them the knowledge I have now from going to ABCA and talking to people like you and, you know, finding out how to write this book. And, you know, I, I did a disservice to them, uh, but I still feel like, you know, in three years from now, I hope I'm better than I am today mm-hmm. to these kids, you know. And and that's that's our jobs as as coaches and and in sport and as leaders.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But and and it, and it. But it's also like due to where you are now is because the the those experience that you did have, you know. That's it. Seems like where where you are now is from that experience and where you're at. Hmm. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, it is. And and,
1: listen, this wasn't because I figured it out. I have no secret sauce or key to the puzzle, you know, to the door. I just was able to, over my time. I think we all try to, you know, find people that have really good messages, and we try to, in a way, steal it, regurgitate it, or even better, mold it into what works for you. And and I think that that's where I'm at.
0: And and that's I I tell you what. Now I I'd like to go back to the because that bring it to what I was thinking about with your speakers. Cause I bring in speakers and I think I, people do that. Do you bring them in saying, okay, I know we have to, let's say, work on our excellence, right. Or, you know, how mm-hmm. we're living. Do you envision a guy like, I know this guy is going to be able to touch on that or do you just bring in a guy?
1: No, no, I don't just bring in anybody. I try to well, bring it. Yeah. Like I, I think that for me, it's, it's about. Like will you
0: set that, will you like tee it up for the guy and say, Hey man, like we're struggling in excellence. Like I'd really like to hammer this home.
1: You know, that's a, that's another great question. I never, ever have somebody speak to me where I preface, like, hey, look, I need you to okay. talk. Because, you know, I feel confident that when I bring a speaker in, I know their message is going to be so strong. And so, ironically, when I bring somebody in that's a CEO and, a, you know, whatever, military, like all these different people I think are great leaders, I literally tell them, I don't want to preface what you're going to talk about. I want you to tell me why you've been successful. How did you get there? What did you learn? And I sit back and I take my pencil out and I take my notes for my next chapter of my next book or my next topic I'm going to do. So I learned so much from these guys, even this past fall, you know, I had two blue angel pilots talk to our guys this fall. Mm. I mean, these guys are like Navy grads played football, fought 12 years in the theater over across the way. And then the way that the blue angels I learned is, is, Once they put 10 years or plus in, then they're allowed to be on the Blue Angels for three years. And then they finish up their six or seven years back in, uh, you know, back in the theater. And and then they retire after 20. And so, like, you know, like, I sat back and was like, he's like, what do you want me to talk about? I'm like, how'd you get here? (laughs) You know, like, like, you know, how did you build Franklin Templeton, Charles? You know, how how did it happen? And the the message is really the same. It's, it's it's, It's amazing to me. That it's, it could be I learn something new every time, but it's all about, the you know, these people saying what true hard work is and what they dealt with failures. You know, um, they all screwed it up. They all were prepared for the screw ups and they all were able to get out of the screw ups and the failures quickly and quicker than other people, which made them rise to the top. So to bring them in, I, I don't want to, you know, misconstrue what they're saying. I don't want to pigeonhole them in to say, look. Talk to me about how you um, are integrity, you know, you act in integrity inside the financial world of, you know, investments. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. I, I-, I want them to share their stories of success and leadership. And um, I-, I think that um, the people that I talk with or to get in there, um, it- it's amazing how much of them have screwed it up. Like, like, you know, I think that if you're a leader, you know you're going to fail. Like, I've scooted up so many times. I've sent people, you know, with one out, they got thrown out. I've made the wrong call. I've, you know, bunted when you should have hit and run. I recruited the wrong guy. I, you know, like, I got to own all of those and be accountable for those. But any mistakes I made were always passed to my next success, you know. And when you when you don't look at it that way, like, like, like failure is not final. Like, failure is not fatal and final. It's not the end. Like, I've always looked at it that way. I really feel like it's a path to you getting to the next step if you have the right mindset, you know? And I think that that's one of the things I protrude when I bring these speakers in is they all talk about how their failures led to their next success.
0: So And, uh, and that's what I was good, because it's always like, you know, people get, I think, uh, and maybe this is where the ego comes in, is like, leading someone astray from like the message and what we're trying to, trying to deliver.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could, Um, you know, I think, I think that, you know, the biggest thing I learned is that you can't have that ego once you're talking to, to people like, you know, if I'm running a team, if I'm running a business and I'm a CEO, like I need to show them that like, not only am I in the trenches with them, but I've been in the trenches and here's my experiences. Now, let's have you figure it out. Like, I can't tell you what to do. Like, I've been in trenches, so do it my way. Like, that doesn't work. It's like, I've been in trenches. This is how I screwed it up. This is how I got out of the trenches. Now, let's see if you can, you know, get out of those trenches on your own. You know, and I think that's where the ego gets checked, where it's like, be one of them, but also guide them in a way to to try to help them be a little bit. But don't let them not fail. (laughs) Like, Like, that's the thing. If you do everything for, like, do you really want to do your kid's homework? Like, what, what justice are you doing if you're doing their homework for them to get an A? So, like, you know, I think that that part of failure and that part of leadership is, is like you're going to have to let them fail. You know, win, winning is great and losing sucks. Like, I'm telling you, like, we celebrate every win. There's no such thing as a bad win. Like, I, I hate when people say, that was a bad win today. Like, we should have really kicked their butt. We only won by four. No, I don't. It's hard to win. Like, it's hard to win at anything. So, like, we celebrate every win like it's a World Series. Like, you'll see us like, ah, yeah, we won 15 to nothing. We won against the number, you know, 300 team in the country. I don't care, you know, because winning and losing is tough to deal with. It's tough to win and it's tough to deal with losses. But those losses, I hate to admit this, there's some time with the right mindset could be the greatest path to your success. And if you don't have that path, you're going to be on a losing streak. You know, like, our job as coaches is not have losing streaks. Like, tell me the last college baseball team or professional baseball team that went undefeated. Mm-hmm. Never happened. <laughs> it's impossible. Like, you're going to lose a game, you know? And so, my point is, is like, expect to lose, but the teams that are really good that only like, go 50 and 10 are the ones that understand that that loss was good. Now, let's not get there again. Let's learn from those losses.
0: Yeah, I think your preface says, and it might have, might have, people might not have caught it. Is, some losses with the right mindset can lead us to the right path, as like what you kind of mentioned there. That was awesome.
1: Yep. Yep. Exactly. The right mindset will get you to the future successes.
0: And <laughs> no, that's just like, you know, like Coach Bianco. He I mean, was like, you just see my old miss and what they went through last year. You know, he talked, he touched base about that.
1: He was great. And I'll tell you what, Mike is, is, um, <laughs> when my book came out in 2020, I was at, it was at Nashville again. I don't know how many you've been to, but it was at Nashville. And
0: I honestly, I honestly am on, on the one to say, I think it could be a national and it just changes every four years somewhere else. I, exactly like, right. I'm on that train. Like I'm on I'm like, yeah, I'm good. With, I Cause it. I was in Chicago and Indianapolis and I'm like, yep. I'm good with Nashville every year. <laughs> Me too. I'm fine. It's a great city and it, it's a great
1: venue. It but, is. Um, it was funny. Cause um, I'm a Rawlings guy. Like I've been on the yep. advisory staff forever. So when the book came out, I, I didn't buy a booth. I mean, I'm not selling my book. I didn't know what the hell to do with a book. But my wife came and she's like, oh, well, Rawlings told us that we can set up in their booth. And Rawlings is a big sponsor. So they got the big booth and the big leather chairs. So my wife sat there and sold books at first convention when you're trying to sell it and get it out there. And you know the first guy that bought the damn book was Mike Bianco. Oh, that's
0: awesome.
1: <laughs> he walked right up. He's like, Trim, we, and we played each other for years. He's like, I got to read the book. And I don't know if you remember in his speech this past year, he talks about how he gets up every morning At 6 a.m., at 6 a.m., and he reads. And I'm telling you, that's the God's honest truth. That guy reads every day because you know what he did this year? I haven't talked to him in two years. And I sent him a congratulatory text when he won the national championship. But when him and I were practicing backstage on Thursday, we were at the same practice session, he was like, Hey, man, in Chapter 7, On page something-something, I can't remember what page, he's like, you were talking about ego, and, like, I really like what you were talking. And then you jumped into image on chapter 12. Like, he read every page of my book. And so, like, he's a real big leadership guy that talks about successes and failures, and he's done a tremendous amount of reading, sport and non-sport, on failures and successes um, as we go forward. And you saw it in the season last year. Mm-hmm. I love that graphic. They were 7-16 and 16 or something. 7-14, mm. yep.
0: 7-14. In the conference, too. Yeah. You know,
1: in the conference, in the bottom part. And, you know, we're talking, you know, in April, mid-April. Yeah. He could have cashed it in right there. The kids could have. And, you know, that's that's true leadership. And that's just, you know, a testament to how good Mike has a grasp on those players and the trust and the loyalty that those players have with their head coach. Like, you, like that's hard to get. Like you got to work really hard to have that culture.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, just that was a a remarkable story, you know. But like I said, the right mindset of being able to use those, but you know, it certainly doesn't hurt playing in the SEC either. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Exactly. But it's that's so hard. It's so crazy hard. Yeah. So very hard indeed. Oh man, coach, this is awesome. Great. Um, This is big awesome. Um. So, I guess just like um, you you, you speak to these guys. How does you talk to the six to eight in the fall? How, like, and you're getting ready to get right after it now in the spring. How do those conversations come in the spring? How do these leaders, is this, how do you, how, what's it look like in the spring? Yeah. You know,
1: I think that the majority of what we try to do is in the fall. So, that, like, I I made a statement earlier about when do I turn the team over to the team? Yeah. And, you know, I think if I do my job as their head coach, I'm starting to get those good feelings, you know, about this time of year. Like, like, you know, like, hey man, today we're undefeated, you know, like like, like we haven't lost a game yet. So I, I haven't dealt with the failures and adversity and we haven't put up a starting lineup yet. So the kids don't know who's starting and all that. But, you know, today with this 2023 team, I feel like the core nucleus of guys that were returning, the incoming guys, I feel like this last, six months together, we've gotten to a point where we have grinded on leadership. We have grinded on, you know, those, those core values, you know, and, and we even threw a new one in, uh, you know, I've been kind of doing it over, you know, Twitter a little bit is, um, you know, we were trying to kind of, kind of keep it fun. And, you know, there's this word out there called moxie, you know, people, people know what it means. It's like, if you look up a dictionary, it's like, you got a little moxie. They'll like, oh, it's like swag. It's a little toughness, all that. Well, in Maine, there's a soda called Moxie. It's a can. It's an orange can. And they only have it up in Maine. It's gross. It's like cough syrup. It actually came out in the 1800s. If you read the history of Moxie, it mm-hmm. was prescribed to get rid of a cough. It's a cross between root beer, Dr. Pepper, Coke. But this, the recipe got screwed up, and it's all syrup when you drink mm-hmm. it. So, so Mainers drink it, and they're like, ah, you're tough if you drink this Moxie. <laughs> So my daughters play ice hockey at the University of Maine. They're seniors. So over winter break, they get a week off for their season. So I made them load four cases of moxie into the, you know, check-in bag that was coming down <laughs> because it's so expensive to ship the stuff. And so I bought an orange shirt that says, you know, distinctively different, have some moxie. So every week at the end of the week, I give a player of the week the moxie award. And they actually poke a hole in the bottom, maybe not the greatest thing image-wise, and they shotgun his <laughs> shotgun hand in the box. Yeah. The practice on Sundays, and we've done it, you know, all spring. And my point is, it's like, what are what you going to do to get that? Well, right. it's not about that you just struck out 12 guys in the scrimmage or you hit two home runs. You know, last week was Jonathan Gonzalez. He's a left-handed pitcher. He's going to be a weekend guy for us. And he, he caught us up, man. Like, he went four innings. He did well. I don't think he gave a hit up. He might have had like six strikeouts, no walks, got a lot of ground balls. He had like a 41-pitch count. And, and as soon as he got off the mound, and, and we were playing at Sperling, which is our practice facility, which is a town field. So you got a you know, nice baseball field, you know, no stands, just dugouts. And then you got a softball field, then you got a soccer field, a football field. It's a sports complex. So where's Jonathan for the next four innings? He's running foul balls. He's, he's out there on the field collecting foul balls and running and getting them. And I wanted to talk to Jonathan about his performance, but I'm like, where's Jonathan? He's like, oh, coach, he decided to be the foul ball guy for the next four innings. That's so like, awesome. that's my Moxie guy. you that's know? It. Like, that's, like, that's the guy for this week, you know? So like, so we kind of do little things. Moxie's not up in our locker room. It's not one of our core values, but it kind of is a byproduct of what we're trying to do after we went through the four core values and the speakers and the whole <laughs> fall of trying to get this done. I'm still trying to pay attention to detail to that, that culture. Because let me tell you, if we get eight speakers in here in the fall and practice these four words and try to become excellent, try to be committed, you know, do all those things. And then I sit back in January and be like, all right, guys, go. And I think I'm I'm kidding myself. But I think we're gonna do it. Like, you gotta pay attention to it all the time. Um, but with that being said, if I do my job. I got Jonathan running foul balls, you know, and I didn't tell right. him to do that, you know? So that's part of the byproduct of trying to build the culture.
0: Yeah, I was thinking like the moxie thing too. Was that your kind of feel of the culture? That's like, that's what you kind of needed to, like you needed, you, you needed that.
1: Yeah. You know, I think probably I was trying not to be corny yeah. with today's, today's age, but I also want to give a little niche, you know, like guys like that stuff. They like that. Sure. Stuff that weekly shirt that gets passed. You wear a badge of honor, you know? And so I told them the story of Moxie and I, and I actually, <laughs> and you can do this yourself after this podcast so your listeners can. Go Google Moxie and the definition, you'll read exactly what I'm talking about. Then go Google the Moxie company and you'll read exactly what I just told you. So I, I showed them the history of what Moxie means. And, you know, um, I, I, I my time in Maine was awesome. Like I, I was there 12 years, I'm, I didn't grow up in Maine, so I'm not a true Mainer, you know. As they say, Maina, you know they don't say there ours, <laughs> but you know I got I, I I was there 12 years, so I think I was anointed 25 percent Maina, you know, as I went forward. <laughs> and they have this little quirky thing about how tough it is, you know. It, it is. I mean, it's zero degrees. It's you know, sunsets at 3:30. You know, in, this, in the winter, <laughs> it's, it's not easy. So, like, I tried to get that to our guys to give them a little bit of, like, hey, look, like, I learned this in Maine. Let me bring it to you. But let's try to be like a Mainer. Let's try to – you know, if they think this is so tough, let's do it ourselves and, and have a little moxie. So, it's it's something that now on week five or six we're on here. Like, pr- tonight was Tuesday. It was our first practice of the week because we have Mondays off. We were flying around tonight, and I heard many people be like, Coach, I want that moxie award. Coach, hey, let's right. a little moxie. So, like – there were you know home run balls tonight. The wind was blowing out. We had home run balls going out like crazy because it was like thirty miles an hour ball in the left field. I had my captains out there getting home run balls. You know what? They're trying to prove a little moxie. I think they want that. That's away. right. Gives them a little bit something to shoot for.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you got him. You got him there. Oh man, coach, it's been. I, I want to. I respect. <laughs> we, we've been. We've been sitting here at an hour. Um, <laughs> man, like it flew by. um just want to respect your time i know i really really do really do appreciate you uh just taking some time and i know with the brand new stadium and all like you could be a lot of different places and i just can't thank you enough for you know for giving me some time man
1: yeah no Trey. i you know like when i got your text and your you know your dm on twitter i was like yeah i I love doing this type of stuff and 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 i I really like enjoying meeting new people because i I, i'm pretty sure this isn't going to be the end of our relationship and We'll follow on, and we'll probably see ourselves, you know, next year we'll run each other at the ABCA or something. But, you know, I wish you all the best. I wish all the people on your podcast. And...
0: Coach Steve Trimper, just crushing it. Just a, a really fun conversation, just loaded with great information. Highly recommend the book, Walk Off Winning. Multiple listens. Just the amount of great information. I love the ways in which he clearly communicates culture. Four step process to get success. Final thing is loyalty, right? When you got to come in there, but guys, like we really need you here. I got you, coach. I got you. Like that loyalty, like that step of getting good people, creating a relationship, building it, forming the trust to get the loyalty. It's a very great. Uh, Step and it, it's it's certainly when you look at like what, what is success you're starting to find that I just love the the clear communication the great energy uh, it, it was just uh, a really great conversation really had a great time hopefully uh, you enjoyed it I got some great things from it to add uh, to build any organization any structure any team and really just how he continues to mold that and grows that uh, and again another example of how it's player fed. As he turns it over uh, to his guys, especially come springtime and towards the end there. Um, again, Coach Stripper, just really appreciate you. Uh, best of luck this year at Stetson. Hope you guys are great. And um, thank you guys for listening. Big shout out to our sponsor, Netting Pros. And Until next time, keep getting better.